the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we head into Hour 3 this uh, this Wednesday. Uh, introducing a, uh, a new and regular element here. Uh, trying to bring back all the great things and great stuff and great people. Uh, Congressman, former Congressman John Shattuck joins us, as he will be doing uh, regularly on Wednesdays. He uh, he joins us in studio. John Shattuck, uh, many of you may know or remember, remember, served in Congress 16 years, I believe, representing 16 years. What used to be Congressional District Four, our old Congressional District Four. Right. His family has a long pedigree in helping shape the conservative movement, and uh, it's a delight to have you back, John. Thanks yeah, for being. I'm here. looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Oh, it's going to be a great, great, great edification for everyone. Uh, there's a lot in the news I want to get to, but let's. First, it is the month of January, named after the god Janus, who looks forward and looks backwards. That's the Latin, uh, the Roman god Janus looks forward and backwards. Let's take just a look back to last week and the discussion we were having compared to where we are now. Um, you're, you're, a, you're a former member of the House. Uh, there was uh, a lot of to-do over the uh, creation of uh, the, making, <laughs> the making or possibly unmaking of the Speaker of the House, to borrow an old Buckley phrase when he ran for mayor with Kevin McCarthy. A week out now uh, from where we were last week, how do you see things with uh, the way Speaker McCarthy uh, got the office, got the job, and how it all shook out? Uh, I have to tell you that when I was here, as this was going on, I had a lot of trepidation. Yeah. Uh, in part, it is easy when you're in the institution or even out of it but committed to a cause, to say, okay, we've got to get hardcore conservative leaders. And that's the sine qua non. And and the issue with McCarthy was, well, was he conservative enough? Uh, And I think you articulated very clearly that the opponents, the 20 outliers, had not made the case against him. And I think at the time I said uh, that I was concerned uh, because he is not philosophical. And you made the point that he's not driven philosophically. Conservative, but not a conservative. Right. Right. I am now flat out excited. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the reason for that is that I believe in the course of that process, McCarthy demonstrated what is, if not more important, at least as important. And that is that he's open to... Uh, compromise, open to idea sharing, open to allowing uh, those who are being pushed out of the system to have a voice. And my view is uh, every member of the Congress ought to have a voice, ought to have a chance to get their point across. And there have been uh, prior Republican speakers who have begun their terms and proceeded through to the end of them with an open contempt for conservatives. Yeah. And and they have worked very aggressively to just push conservatives out of the tent and not listen to them. And I didn't know how the process was going to play out. And it was ugly. And as it went on, it made Republicans look bad. But I think it proved that uh, more important, as I say, or at least as important as his philosophy, 
McCarthy proved that he was willing to listen and uh, and to listen to, you know, those who felt they were being pushed out of the process, the 20 outliers. The marginalized, if you will, in the yep, Republican absolutely Party. Absolutely marginalized. Yeah, yeah. And, and under some of our prior speakers, uh, the speaker himself was happy to have them marginalized. Sorry, you may have a, uh, a, an election certificate from your congressional district, but I in get my mind, right. you don't count. Right. And what I think McCarthy demonstrated was that he was willing to listen, uh, willing to listen to all views. I think in the end, it appears the group was well-led, uh, and there were a handful for whom it was a personal vendetta. Yeah. And that's going to happen in any organization. And I don't applaud those who opposed Mr. McCarthy on the basis that they had some personal pique with him. Uh, if they truly were concerned about his philosophy, then the way to test that was to say, OK, will you listen to you to us? Are you open to input? And I think he demonstrated that in ways that are extremely important. Um, and I think that means it may be and I want people to understand the distinction here. It may, in fact, be harder to get legislation passed. Mm-hmm. And it, it I'm not saying that the institution will run uh, more expeditiously or with less acrimony, but it will be fairer. Um, For example, uh, they've committed to genuinely allowing members to see bills uh, a full 72 hours before they have to vote on them. As you and I know, uh, under the preceding uh, Democrat speaker, they would bring bills to the floor time after time with 4,000 pages and give them you know, three hours to yeah. read the bill. Pass you, it, then find out what's in it Yeah, was the vote. <laughs> that, actually, and she admitted it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she said, oh, well, we've got to pass this bill to find out what's in it. Mm. And uh, so I think that's a, a very serious reform. Uh, another one, uh, and I don't know if they're going to be able to live up to all of these, but uh, I remember when I first got to Congress and uh, – I had worked at the Arizona legislature, not really in the legislature and not as a staff of the legislature, but I'd worked for Attorney General Bob Corbin, and my responsibility was the legislature. And I had learned that we have in Arizona what's called the single subject rule, which means you cannot put into here in Arizona uh, into a bill that deals with, uh, we'll say, drugs, uh, a provision on child care. I think they call it log rolling or something like go. that. Yeah, uh, but but here it's well known as the single subject rule. Yeah. I remember getting to Washington and one day realizing that wasn't there, and I called John Kyle and I said, "John, what is this? How can how can people expect us to work on bills that have you know sections of them that have absolutely nothing to do with the rest of the bill?" And uh, at that time, Senator Kyle said, "Well, welcome to Washington, John." Yeah. And in these reforms. They are supposedly, as I get it, and we haven't seen all of the reforms, moving to a single subject rule. That will make uh, the entire process uh, more transparent. And and I was thinking about it driving It'll curb here. Gucci Gulch a little bit, too, if that still exists, Absolutely. right? The, 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 the lobbyists. Yep, the sneaking lobbyists. stuff into a right. bill. You know, right. they'd go pick out a bill that had to pass and sneak in whatever they yeah. wanted. Yeah. And uh, if they, as long as they had the contacts to get it in, there it went. Yeah. And this now makes that harder. And the reality is any reform that makes the process of the United States Congress more transparent, easier to follow, uh, easier to monitor, it is a good reform. And uh, it all began, I, I don't know if it began before this, but 
uh, Newt wanted to be able to accomplish things, and so he began the process of consolidating power in the Speaker. Um, the truth is it, it became more and more concentrated all the way up until the point where, under Nancy Pelosi, you know, it was just a diktat. Mm-hmm. She could do whatever she wanted. Yeah. She write. She uh, took Republicans off committees. Absolutely. Yeah. It was just so. Uh, I am. I think there are huge strides were made in the process. Uh, I think it demonstrated that McCarthy is smart enough to know he needs to listen. Maybe in part that comes from the fact that he's got a very narrow majority. Newt, as you know, there were seventy us, seventy three of us elected in that election. He he had a broader majority to work with. Well, I think this experience. Rather than weakening him, uh, I think taught him a lesson of the importance of staying in touch with and respecting every member of the conference, maybe excluding those who decide to make it a vendetta. There are, as you know, a handful who didn't vote for him in the end. If they want to keep it up as a vendetta, I think they just narrow their influence and, and quite frankly, make themselves irrelevant. Uh, But – if you are willing to stay engaged in the process, I think he's demonstrated that he will listen. Now, will it be as conservative as John Shattuck would like? Well, of course not. Very few <laughs> things are. <laughs> exactly. Um, but uh, everybody has a role to play in a legislative body. You know, I used to see my role as trying to bring balance to the place. We had people on the very, very, very far left, as they have now. Um, and we had people... You know, on the right. And if you took yourself out of the game, well, then you were just irrelevant. But if you stayed engaged and paid respect to people with whom you disagreed uh, and continued uh, the dialogue, then you could have impact. And I think Mr. McCarthy demonstrated that uh, um, he's willing to do that. And, I, and you know, early on, he had said, I'm through compromising. Yeah. I think I complained about that when I was here last time. Yeah. You know, I don't care if you're negotiating for a house or a car. Yeah. You can say, I'm, you know, I'm going home right now and make the car dealer call you back. But when the car dealer calls you back, you got to take the call if you want the car. Yeah, that's a great. <laughs> yeah, it's a great point. So so maybe maybe all said and done uh, a net positive. It looks like it. You know, when, there's the music. When we come back on the other side of the break, I just a question in passing. Feel free to take it any way you want. There's no question but that when you were in Congress, the Democratic Party itself was more moderate, uh, what we wouldn't do for a Bill Clinton these days. I'm curious what your sense is of the Republican Party in the House in general. Is it more conservative than it was when you were there? About the same. Let's talk. Can we talk about that when we come back? I'm Seth Liebson. He's John Shattuck. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Delighted and privileged and honored to have John Shadig in the studio with us, former congressman representing uh, this area of Phoenix. It was uh, the old CD Congressional District 4. Uh, they've changed those numbers, but it'll always be CD4 to us. I grew up right. in District 4 and uh, went to school in District 4. And Anyway. Got many opportunities to vote for me. I, well, <laughs> I, I left. No, I see. I left. I, my parents had opportunities to vote okay. for you. and. I don't think they did, but I grew up in a very liberal household, <laughs> John. Is. I had a college conversion. Run by me. I had a college conversion. Um, but there were fundraisers next to our house. <laughs> there were fundraisers. John, I was asking – so we were talking about the conservatives in Congress and Kevin McCarthy's place in the conservative uh, constellation there. Democratic Party, by no, by no question, is it 
it is much more left wing than it was when you were there. How, how do you assess the Republican Party? A, the membership in Congress generally and uh, maybe nationally generally. Is it more conservative than it was when you were in Congress? Well, let's start with the Congress. OK. Um, uh, when we got there in 19- – You were an outlier of 94, sorts. Yeah. Uh, the class – the entire class was viewed as hardcore conservative. That's right. Um, Republicans had been in the minority for some 40 years and the – This was a Bob Michael, Bob Dole yep. kind of Republican yep. party, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, and and the the incumbents that we met amongst the Republicans when we got there were by and large moderate. Newt had moved them somewhat to the right, uh, but many of them understood that uh, to be – to, to feel good about the work they were doing, they had to play the game, which meant they had to get earmarks and spend money. Uh, and most of them were there, quite frankly, f- almost all of them were there uh, for two reasons. One, status or stature back home. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm a congressman. Sure. And, and two, uh, to play the game. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm in Congress. Uh, I have two jobs. One, I'm supposed to help my constituents, you know, if they can't get their Social Security. And two, I'm supposed to bring home pork. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I would argue that my class had a greater proportion of members who saw their job as trying to move the party to the right, trying to not be defeated on philosophical issues of spending uh, and pork and regulation uh, in the wrong direction every day. So we were – I think the most conservative class to that point in time. I am, however, encouraged by the current class. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think there are – I am continually impressed by the younger members that I watch and get to know. They are smart. They are committed. They are conservative. I think to some degree they went to school on us. Mm -hmm. They saw that you can go back there uh, and fight for – what I call the cause, uh, what I refer to as freedom, and and you can earn the respect of your constituents doing that. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I think the Congress is, at least the House Republicans are every bit as conservative as they were. Uh, the Senate is a different animal and harder to judge. Um, as for the nation, uh, that for me is very difficult. Yeah, it's hard to say. Um, I have a friend who said, "Look, who says fundamentally, uh, the theme of the Democrat Party is elect me and I'll give you candy bars. Okay, and the theme of the Republican Party is elect me and I'll make you eat your spinach. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in recent years, particularly uh, in, in under Biden and to us." a very significant extent uh, under Obama, the amount of vote buying by government has grown so much uh, that uh, I think a fair number of people have bought into that on a temporary basis uh, and have said, yeah, why shouldn't the government give me more and more and more? I do think that over time people are seeing that that doesn't work. You see work, uh, workforce participation is down dramatically. You pointed out drug use yeah. is up We just hit a new mile, right. mile marker today. Um, yeah. So I'm not sure 
I, I, I think the conservative movement is gaining strength, but I think it's trying to figure out how to effectuate those policies yeah. and how to fight uh, the radical left, the people in this, in this country who uh, think it is a bad country and, and uh, needs to be radically changed. One of the greatest things I think you guys did in, in your class um, of Congress, John, was welfare reform, the ultimate 1996 welfare reform bill. You know, it's very hard in my sense. It's very hard to make big changes in this country. That was a big change, almost a once in a lifetime kind of thing, almost as big as the Great Society program itself. You don't see a lot of massive moving of the levers uh, through acts of Congress, Senate, through federal legislation. Uh, and a lot of that has been whittled away over yeah, time. I was say, my yeah. concern is yeah. there was a gigantic step forward yeah. that I think stood to make the entire nation more productive mm-hmm. because I believe that it's in human nature that every human being wants to think of himself as contributing and yeah. making a difference yeah. and doing something of value. Yeah. And our welfare reform said, yeah, that's yeah. what we want you to do. Yeah. And then – it, it, it has been it's been chipped, whittled, chipped away. away and whittled away to almost nothing, and it makes me want to say to a lot of people who were happy with the Kevin McCarthy fight and got Kevin McCarthy in there with you know with the with the with the compromises of the class of twenty or the group of twenty that that they got. I want them to temper their expectations just a little bit, just a little bit. First of all, uh, as you pointed out, it is a thin majority in the House, um, but it's also we don't even have the Senate. You guys at least had the Senate back right. then, uh, and you had a at least semi-moderate Democrat who at least sounded like a moderate. Um, you don't even have that right now, so I, I, I just want people to have a little bit of a little bit of patience. I mean, I, I think the most the most um, the most exciting or the most interesting things that we will accomplish will probably be in the form of hearings uh, and exposés and, and inquisitions. I couldn't agree with you more okay. about the issue of expectations. Good. Um, I think a year or two after we got there, maybe it was into his second or third term, uh, Matt Salmon, who was elected with me and, and we became close friends, uh, famously said uh, that you know we went to Washington to change it uh, and kind of in a sense acknowledging that we had not been able to change it, he had said, well, it's like trying to turn around a super tanker yeah. in the Panama Canal. Yeah. And I think that not just the conservatives that are there, not just the Republicans that are there. And uh, I think we all, all of us who want to see America preserve what it was founded on, need to have very low expectations and just focus on hopes. And I think one of the things I'd love to see is uh, – um, Former United States Senator Phil Graham used to say he would take on these philosophical fights and he would fight as hard as he humanly could, possibly could, for the conservative position. And then when he could see he couldn't get any more, he would uh, end the negotiations or end the process and live to fight another day. Yeah. So I think go for the maximalization or the most maximal position you can get. Go for it. Absolutely. But also know, you know – there's not a lot behind you. There's not always going to be a lot behind you, and you're going to have to take the wins as you get them. John Shattuck and I will be right back. I want to talk to you about gas stoves, John. <laughs>
Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. John Shattuck is in studio with me, former congressman. He had a, he was uh, d- telling us the story of a friend of his who says, you know, the Democratic Party gives out candy bars. The Republican Party gives out cans of spinach. And I was just thinking with him over the break, you know, we have that test. We have that litmus test in this very office, John. It would mean the most conservative member of the staff here is my producer, Bill, who makes a plain baked potato every day with lentil beans. And that's all he's eaten. That's all he eats every day, every single day, and it's the same thing, and God bless him. I probably wish I had his triglyceride levels. But in the kitchen, as you know, here we have candy, we have snacks, so I understand the point. I understand the point, but Bill will outlive us all. He, he by your definition, is probably our most conservative uh, staffer. All right, so there is something you guys were elected to go to Washington and try and tame when you guys were uh, put into the class of 1994-95. And among them was uh, the Leviathan, big government, uh, has goes, goes by different names. People yesterday learned about something called the Consumer Product Safety Commission, uh, run by uh, a Richard Trumka, who I think it might be the son of the former union Is guy. That, yeah, I wonder. I, about I, that. I, it's got to be Same right. Name, yeah, right? it's got to be yep. this. It's got to be the son of the of the former head of the. Uh, uh, was he mine workers AFL or whatever? CIO. Yeah, AFL CIO. Um, Gas stoves. Who knew that would be a problem? William Buckley used to joke that a liberal is someone who wants to reach into your shower and tell you the temperature that you can take it at. Right. We're there. We're there. there. Except they're now taking away or want to take away gas stoves. We're absolutely there. And and don't kid yourself. I mean, they're they're at times irrational, but uh, at the end of the day, they go. They, they start with a small bite and then go for everything. So we're going to take gas stoves out of houses, but we're not going to take gas furnaces, and we're not going to take uh, gas water heaters, and we're not going to take gas dryers out. If they go this route, which the most radical elements of the environmental movement want to do, they're going to take. They would like to take all of those things out, uh, and it's not a matter of well, do we need to have air, air purifiers or do we need to you know, stop more leaks, it's we need to get rid of gas because, of course, uh, they want to ration energy. They want us not to consume so much energy. They actually energy. did do it with shower heads. Absolutely. They actually did it. They did they it did with it. light bulbs. They, right? did it with, they did it with shower heads. They did it with toilets. Yeah. To- uh, fortunately, uh, the ingenuity of the human mind often cuts them off at the corner. So on light bulbs, you know, they wanted to start dictating uh, – Rules about uh, filament uh, light bulbs, and it turns out the industry came along and said, "Oh, maybe we can make a more efficient light bulb," and they did. So the the motivation is good, but the implementation is can often be very very bad. Uh, And in this case, it seems to me a little shocking that they want to eliminate uh, natural gas in stoves, and then of course in everything else. At a point in time when we can't produce enough electricity to cool our homes on the hottest day of summer or to heat our homes on the coldest day of winter. And yet they want everything to move to electricity. And exactly how are we going to produce that electricity? Well, not with coal. Uh, They would say not with nuclear. Uh, They would say not with natural gas. Uh, It's not at all clear that we can do that. Uh, or or that we can do it by tomorrow, which, of course, is when AOC wants to do it. You know, there was P.J. O'Rourke made the point that we beat the Soviet Union in part with Levi's jeans and Sony Walkman. Nice things, yep. you know, consumer yep. goods that people wanted. What a poor epitaph. What a lousy epitaph to the 
defeat of, 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 of communism in the Eastern Bloc for us to now to try and emulate the lifestyles they once had. It's, we are getting to a point where there's a war against nice things, having nice things. Uh, this was a short segment. We'll come back. Air conditioning uh, is uh, evil, yes, they say. Exactly right. Just exactly, learn to live with hot days. Exactly right. But, you know, it goes to this other issue, too, that I've been playing with in my head. And I wonder if you would agree, maybe we can address this on the other side of the break, that government like this this uh, this administrative agency people didn't know much about until yesterday, government doing so many things that are not in the Constitution, they don't really have any kind of constitutional mandate, there may be legislatively created agencies to be sure, but government doing so many things at the federal level that make them really more than anything busybodies and regulators for the sake of regulation and busybodiness, that the core and essential functions fall by the wayside, that we can't get planes in the air, that we can't secure our board. I wonder if you might just address yourself and our audience on that point. Government getting so big and both so spread out at the federal level and things it has no business in that the things that it should have business in, it can't do well. Can we talk a little bit about that when sure. we come back? Yep. I'm Seth, and he's John Shadding. Yeah, I'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. John Shattuck is our in-studio guest, as he will be uh, every Wednesday, uh, or at least most Wednesdays. And um, I was just asking you, John, you know, people kind of know of the Constitution. They kind of know about federal law. There's this whole other body called the Code of Federal Regulations that is, I don't know how many times bigger than the U.S. Code, probably 100. Uh, And what it does is detail and talk about the implementation and how you have to employ uh, U.S. code, federal law. And we learn about these agencies that turn out to be busybodies, regulating almost every aspect of human life, and then we wonder why we can't keep planes in the air, or we wonder why we can't secure a border, or we wonder why we can't do what we thought government's main functions were. And I just wonder if it's that kind of bloat that is so distracting from the federal level that does leave Americans with an anchor tied or, or, or a millstone tied around their neck? I don't think there's any doubt about it. Uh, Department it, of Education, what the hell, you know? And in part, it goes to education and it goes to what our children are taught. And they are, I would argue, for a few generations now, have not been taught uh, the Constitution of limited or the concept of limited government or even of free markets. Uh, The reality is that government was only supposed to do certain things that people couldn't do for themselves. And those decisions should have been driven by, at least in America, we thought, by the free market and maybe by science. And then you look at things like uh, this ban on stoves. Mm -hmm. Well, the reality is for drying clothes, uh, probably for heating water, uh, certainly for cooking foods more precisely, natural gas is simply a better fuel, uh, both on a scientific basis and on a market basis. Uh, Last night, there was a restaurant owner on one of the conservative talk shows saying that if they banned natural gas stoves in his restaurant, 
uh, the cost of cooking his food would go up by, I think he said, 40%. Yeah. Uh, and that's because for certain functions, natural gas is just simply better. And, and, and the other thing is that we also believed that markets would drive things. And it turns out, you know, in many instances, uh, um, natural gas is a less expensive fuel. And so the, the zealots... Uh, who say, well, this value is more important than that value. Uh, somebody who says, I believe, in fact, uh, that if we don't solve the global warming problem, uh, we'll all be dead in, what did she say, 17 years? It's changed years? a lot. Yeah, that right. target has moved an right. awful lot. Right. Um, and and you and I understood that the free market could address those things. And it has addressed those things. We just talked about uh, the new light bulbs. They, you know, they may cost more they may be more expensive today, but over the long run, they do two things. They last much longer, and they produce much less heat. So if you're trying to air condition your home and light it, mm-hmm. you know, you'll love the new technology. Uh, one of the things that bothered me when I was in Congress was that instead of just setting a goal, the Congress sometimes gets down into dictating the way to achieve that goal. Uh, we wanted to deal with air pollution and so instead of saying, okay, we've got to make our automobile fuels as clean as humanly possible, they went beyond that, I think, and dictated uh, that a certain uh, chemical be used in the gasoline to achieve that goal. And the next thing we know, that chemical is in all of our water. Yeah. Um, the government isn't better than the scientific community, and it ought not to be dictating uh, the solutions. It ought to be dictating the goals uh, if it has any role at all. And there's an arrogance to the government, too, isn't there? Uh, I guess we're seeing this with uh, with the revelations coming out of coming out of the uh, Elon Musk uh, Twitter files. We're seeing the arrogance of questioning the government. I mean, you you grew up you, you remember the church committee hearings, which were investigating 1975. Uh, Frank Church was he in what, what's it, Montana, maybe Idaho, Idaho. Uh, Steve Sims beat Smiling him. Steve Sims. Was that, was that his name? Smiling Steve Sims? Something like that. Could have been. Yeah, could have been. I worked for him. Did you really? I did. Oh, good, 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 good. So he was kind of a hero for exposing what the FBI and CIA was doing in involving itself in domestic politics. Uh, we're seeing that now. We saw it through COVID. I mean, this the, when the government sets its mind to doing something, it can put you out of business. It can get you to lose your job. I mean, it can it can cost you your job. Um, the government has become so very powerful that it doesn't even seem to want to yield to open and public debate anymore. It's as if they are saying, "I am the state." The less you know, like uh, the Sun King. That's 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 kind of new too, especially with a media that used to be the check on the government. Don't you think? I mean, in those days, the media would go after your Joe McCarthy's. It would go after your J. Edgar Hoover's. It would go after your overarching and overreaching CIA's. Today, the media is kind of their handmaiden. It makes things a bit worse than then, doesn't it? Well, I think it makes things dramatically worse. Um, I don't think the federal bureaucracy or even state bureaucracies, when at least when I was a kid, they would not have thought for a moment of, in, of inserting their philosophy over the people's philosophy. Right. They worked for the public and viewed themselves as public servants. Uh, in, as we've approached our current woke state of affairs, the bureaucracies, at least uh, at the federal level, 
genuinely believe they know better yep. how to run the country than we do as citizens. But also now they know better how to run the country than the elected leaders. Yep. We need to be governed by, in their view, an elite set of bureaucrats who are smarter than you and I, Seth. I mean, That's the progressive I, dream, isn't it? That, absolutely. That's the definition. But then the other thing you hit on that was uh, the role of the media. Yeah. Uh, it. I don't want to hearken back and say we need to go back and do things the way we did in the past, but the media served as uh, a leveler or an or or at least a fair player to question the government, not to question Absolutely. you and me, right? They they would question the government, they would they would question power, yeah. uh, and they would expose it so that the people could then examine it. Today, the media sides with the far left. On everything, you cannot find it's it's near impossible. I guess you got to go to Substack. Yeah, uh, this to, Biden story, the Biden document story. I mean, it's on one network, Fox News. That's it. And, no and one else is talking about it. Actually, the entire immigration crisis yeah, on our southern border, Good point. the entire thing. Good point. You and I watch people cross that border by the hundreds, if not thousands, night after night. Right. If you watch Fox, right. If you watch any other channel, no. it's not happening. No. That's right. You, you, who was the, the woman that uh, is uh, the spokesman for President Biden said one time, well, it's not as though thousands of them cross every day. Oh, yeah. Karen Jean-Pierre. Yes, wanted, it is. I want to climb into the television <laughs> and say, exactly what, lady, it is exactly, exactly that. that. It's exactly you, that. You are not uh, watching part of the the real story. So the the media filters what we learn and filters it all in one direction. So uh, it's made things worse and harder, hasn't it? Absolutely. And and I I guess going back to uh, the whole struggle with McCarthy, the courage it takes to stand up and say no in a body like that. I mean, I did it. There were nights when I was scared to death. There were, well, they, they, in fact, kicked me off of a committee they'd promised me or didn't give me a committee I prom- they promised me because I crossed them. No. And and literally, Tom DeLay called me and said, John, we know we promised you this committee, but you have crossed us too many times. So, let, me, let, me, let me take the quick break here. Let me have you finish that story when we sure. come back because I think it is illustrative of what we're fighting with two rules, one for the Greeks and one for the Romans. We'll be right back. John Shattuck is our guest this hour. Delight to have you in studio, John. It's our last short segment here. You were telling a story about, you know, the courage it takes to stand up, the Mr. Smith goes to Washington kind of kind of thing, because there are punishments and there are retributions. And there are two rules, it does seem. There is a rule for the Greeks and a rule for the Romans. There's a rule for the Democrats. There's a rule for the Republicans. And as we're finding out, there's a rule even for different kinds of Republicans, right? Absolutely. Yeah. There's no question about it. And you see it all the time. I mean, Right now, we are seeing that there's one set of rules for documents found in the possession of Mr. Trump and a different set of documents, perhaps equally as bad, perhaps worse. We don't yet know in the possession of uh, President Biden. And uh, it's interesting to me that virtually nobody is commenting about the fact that they they found this. The Biden lawyers found these before the election. Yeah, a week before. And and didn't release right. them. The FBI had Hunter Biden's uh, computer for, I, I think, over a year yeah, yeah. and didn't tell Americans about it, even though it was chock full of information about the Ukraine. And that was the issue over which Trump was being 
impeached at the time. I know. It's kind of amazing. But the point I wanted to make about standing up is uh, I've told you I'm optimistic about Kevin McCarthy. I think it took huge courage for those members to stand up to him, those that were doing it on principle, which I think was the majority. I think it led to a positive result. And I think the Congress will be uh, more open and more transparent. Uh, will it be harder to get stuff done? Yes. But that's kind of what the founders had in mind. They didn't want it to be simple so you could change laws without, you know, with the bat of an eyelash. Uh, and and I think uh, I have reason to believe to be optimistic. I'm not so optimistic about the media being uh, 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 a one direction lobbying organization for leftist policies. And we can just hope that that will change and do what we can to make it change. Well, that's why we're here. That's why you're here. That's why I'm here. We've got to finish the show here, John. But it's just the one part of this story that I can't get over is the discovery of the Biden documents. Is anyone raising the question why he had his lawyers moving his offices? It seems to me two guys in a truck would be a lot more efficient than these white shoe washing. Who has $800 an hour lawyers moving your office, John? Is anyone going to ask that? Why were the lawyers moving these papers in the first place? And how about the link that he says he had no idea those documents were there, except his concern that the documents might be there or his knowledge that they were there would be the only explanation for why he had lawyers making the move. Yeah, I know it. I know it. It's so odd. It's so odd. But again, you know, that's why we're our press and they they have their press. We'll ask these questions. John, always good to see you. Until next week. Thanks we for being here. I am Seth Leapson. Until tomorrow, God bless you all and class dismissed. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com